Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Twenty-five years after the 1995 Chicago heat wave, Cooked, Survival by Zip Code, examines events that led to the deaths of 739 people, mostly black and in the poorest neighborhoods of the city. The film arrives at a time when growing calls across the country to, to declare racism a public health crisis and reinvest in communities ravaged by the long-term effect of structural racism. The film, again, is called Cooked, Survival by Zip Code. It's based on a book by Eric Kleinenberg, a groundbreaking book uh, called Heat Wave. Uh, And we're joined today by the Peabody Award-winning director and founder of Chicken and Egg Pictures. And that would be Judith Helfand. Judith, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, this is such a, an insightful film, one that I think is going to cause a lot of people to reconsider how they look at disaster, disaster recovery, as well as this sort of structural racism. It's all in the mix in this film, Cooked Survival by Zip Code. Tell me a little bit about what prompted this documentary film project for you. Two things. I, I had been working on a film about climate change called Everything's Cool, and we were looking at stories of climate change messengers, and we ourselves were climate change messengers and trying to kind of crack the code on how do you tell this story and make it urgent enough for people to actually see it and believe it and uh, believe the science and do something about it before it's too late? And it's hard to believe that, you know, we, we, we were doing that in, in 2003 and four and five and six and seven. I'm saying those words and I'm just kind of like amazed as I say that. Um, I'm talking to you from the offices of, um, at NYU of um, IPK, which is the Institute for Public Knowledge, which was founded by Eric Kleinenberg, who wrote the book Heat Wave, Social Autopsy of Disaster in Chicago. I, and I just came from, from visiting with him at the end of the hallway, and he's teaching a class on climate change and helping people kind of like look at the images and understand sort of the social causes and the impact on social fabric of society. And he was showing me the images. And I said, I can't, I just can't believe. He said, some of these kids don't, some of these students actually don't know about climate change, even while everything is happening right now. And I, and I have to help them see it. And I, and I just thought, you know, we're still kind of where we are, except the world is on fire, literally, right? Just on fire. And we're still trying to figure out how to communicate this and how to transform this reality into, um, into urgent images. Um, an urgent policy that governments and institutions and huge, you know, the big business will like finally say, okay, enough is enough. We have to do something about it. That's kind of how I came to the story of the heat wave because we were working on everything's cool. I, I read this book about we were looking for stories of climate change that had taken place in the United States that people could see. Mm-hmm. This story was actually so big that it couldn't fit into that movie I knew that it kind of deserved its own film in its own right, but also there was something about it that I was just sort of shocked by that I did, that I actually didn't understand while we were making everything's cool. 
which was, and I, and actually while we were making everything's cool, I, I, I started this movie. I mean, the first time I filmed was Eric Kleinenberg, and it's in the opening of the movie, Eric right. Kleinenberg testifying on Capitol Hill at, at a special briefing for policymakers about disaster and warning them, you know, that, you know, you can't really, you, you it's, it's hard to, it's hard to see, but it's actually there every single day. And it takes a disaster for us to see it. And what he was talking about was the underlying disaster of extreme inequity and extreme poverty and extreme racism and, and how that ripped at the, the infrastructure of any city. But it's sometimes because we're so used to looking at it or not looking at it because we can drive through or drive by or we live on the other side of town and we don't have to see what we don't want to see, which is extreme poverty. You know, we don't have to see it until we're forced to. And sometimes the way in which we're forced to see it is through an extreme weather event. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what was amazing to me about the heat wave story. Because for me, when I read it, it was the first time that I had ever seen extreme weather as this form of sort of revelation about the extreme underlying disaster of our everyday life and our everyday infrastructure, which is completely informed by structural racism. And I thought, oh, my God, that's amazing. And and it was really about us. It was really about me. It was really about, on some level, sort of like the, the white community that's in great denial. Like, why does it take us an extreme weather event to see this? Like, that's insane. So that's what made me want to make this movie. Six months after we started sh- shooting for real, which I say for real, I mean, again, I, I um, a small amount of development money, and I was about to shoot a trailer, enough material to create a trailer or a proof of concept so that I could raise more and, and really finish it. And this is in 2005, when I'm thinking that we will finish this movie soon. Um, that's when Katrina hit, six weeks from the day that I shot some of my very first material. Katrina hit. And it was same story, different extreme weather event, same extreme disparity, same extreme structural racism. And, and this time we were able to kind of look at, you know, same huge number of deaths, right? I mean, 739 people in Chicago. That's huge. The whole country should have known that and should have been up in arms. And we weren't. And, and then everyone's on the edge of their seats watching this. And I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of the same story. What do we really, what does it take for us to understand what a disaster is? What does disaster mean? And and then soon this became also a story about, you know, the politics of disaster. And on some level, the politics of disaster preparedness. And who gets to be prepared and who doesn't? And when do we pay attention to, I'm going to quote the way the, the disaster world talks about extreme poverty, you know, the most vulnerable communities. When do we pay attention? How much data do we need to know? How much data do we need to have in order to know there's a disaster there? There's a, this extreme systemic crisis. Let's do something. Do we have to wait for the climate crisis to push us to see? So those were all the things that made me want to make this movie. First of all, let me just underscore just how how well you make the point in Cook's Survival by Zip Code, that point, and the way that you um, Put yourself as far as you're sort of our guide into this um, into this world of disaster response, disaster preparedness, with your brother and your family and your talk. It sort of gets us into the story because of, of Sandy when it hit uh, 
uh, New York, and so so your mom and your your family was dealing with it. But um, the film goes from there into just as you talked about. I don't remember '95 uh, in in the heat wave in Chicago, uh, and the idea that 700 plus people would have perished because of the heat, but because of all the underlying issues that that are a part of that. And how we, I'm thinking back on how we tend, even with the Ninth Ward in New Orleans, how we tend to blame the victims. That seems to be sort of the default when something like this happens. Well, you know, almost like they shouldn't have been there. And 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 that that's part of this not having to deal with it, not having to actually confront the the the, the systemic issues that you that are so prevalent in in your film. Is that a fair way to to look at it? I think so. Yes, absolutely. You know, I I would I think you know in a in a way I'm I'm always looking for ways to explore systemic issues and try to make try to like to to put them in relief and help everybody kind of see what we've come and we've become inured to and we've come to accept as business as usual. And then and, and then try to make that which we've become accustomed to and even comfortable with uncomfortable. And to even realize, oh my God, I'm comfortable I, I've become comfortable with this heinous thing. That's not okay. And I think the only way to do that is to is through the power of juxtaposition. And I think Films do that in a way that they can they can bring two worlds next to each other, and be and and through doing that, help an audience kind of understand what does systemic mean, as I think it's hard. I think the problem with systemic problems is that like they are, they are so ingrained in part of the system that we immediately edit to ourselves and say, oh, can't change that, right? Oh, can't right. question that. Oh, that's how it works. Well, that's just always how it works, right? And like our our job as artists is to never accept that that's, that's how anything works. Our job is to actually look at how it works, look at how, how what working means and doesn't mean, and, you know, and un, undo that in a way, unpack it, set it in relief, help people kind of look at it in a way that's like bizarre, upside down, crazy, funny, you know, humorous, mm-hmm. horribly sad, you know, just like help people actually see it. You know, that's why we juxtapose the Buckingham Fountain with kids um, on the south side of Chicago or the west side of Chicago, you know, playing in a, a fire hydrant on you know, the hottest day of that summer. And, you know, the police turning it off and locking it up, you yeah. know, the fire hydrant. And when you juxtapose these two places, which are on opposite sides of the city, opposite zip codes, and that two places that actually t- today, you know, have a have a lifespan differential that is 30 years, which is crazy, yeah. right? It's like when you when you juxtapose those two things and you add music, and you add and you know and you add the sound of that water, and you add the quiet of one place and the shrill walla of kids in the streets and cars and police officers on the other side, and you butt them up right next to each other, something happens. You know, like, oh, that's systemic. It's hard to understand. You know, we try to do the same thing when you see this community-based organization that is trying to help senior citizens apply and, and receive small amounts of money that can help them pay for their heating and cooling bills, which might make all the difference 
during a heat wave or during a cold snap. And these folks are forced to like wait online early, early in the morning and then sit and then wait and bring all of these papers to get, you know, $100 in a neighborhood that we know is really suffering from concurrent, you know, health disparity and health inequity and resource inequity and, and has been for generations and is one of those formerly redlined, you know, forever redlined communities. And then you juxtapose that with a disaster preparedness strategy that cost millions and millions of dollars, you know, or a 24-hour or, or a two-day disaster preparedness strategy, you know, just blocks away that cost $250,000 for a long weekend. And you look at that and you say, like, okay, which disaster do we really need to be thinking about? The tornado that might not happen, that that could cause the death of one person annually in Chicago, or 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 this. That's the job of a filmmaker when we are entrusted with trying to explore and look at and, and address systemic inequity. And I think what you're describing for for filmmakers like yourself who understand the power of cinema, I've always attributed it to the uh, ability of film, of the visual, to sort of leapfrog or as it goes by your your rational brain, it pulls it into the this the sights and sounds of what it is that you're conveying in film. It's such an effective way of making the points that you're talking about because it, it, it's more than one sense that you're talking about. It's many senses, and, and it's also a sort of a visceral reaction to, to what you see um, in film that makes it so powerful. So uh, there, there is an image a number of images in the film that I want to talk about. By the way, we're speaking with Judith Helfand, and she is uh, the director uh, of the film Cooked, Survival by Zip Code, that will be premiering on Independent Lens on Monday, February 3rd at 10 p.m., so please, please check that out. But um, that the graphs that you were talking about the, that we see in the film, the overlays of the populations, uh, the, the different segments, the different neighborhoods in Chicago and how they correlate to life expectancy, health issues, all kinds of different things that are exactly what you're describing as this kind of rolling disaster, uh, social disaster that's occurring in Chicago and, and many other places across the country and how effective that is for, for me as a viewer, how, how it, it brings it all home in a way that uh, that really is uh, emotionally very powerful. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad. Well, it took a long time and a lot of um, editing with with um, a few extraordinary editors to to make that to make that work. So yeah, <laughs> well, you. well, yeah. I, again, it, it it brings it brings our intellect into it. We, when we can see a graph that you know correlates to yeah life expectancy, heart attacks, diabetes job opportunities, all those things that we are told and oftentimes are able, easy, able to easily dismiss because, because it, we, don't, we don't have that level of you know, visual representation and the ability right. of that to, to really drive home the point. I think part of the reason why that also works is because there, there are maps that happen throughout the movie, right? So, you know, we thought in a way that the ground zero map is the heat death poverty map, which is a city map of Chicago that Dr. Whitman, one of our main protagonists in the film and the epidemiologist who was the one to finally come up with the final tally of heat deaths and counted the heat deaths 
and then took the addresses of the people who died based on their death certificates and plotted them on a map and was able to make it pretty clear that the people who were dying lived in the poorest parts of the city and also the blackest parts of the city. So he made those two correlations. But years later, when we were interviewing him, and he had already at that point left his job at the city to work at a hospital and to run an amazing institution called the Sinai Urban Health Institute. Um, And he was looking at, you know, diabetes and breast cancer and asthma and looking at all the sort of the social determinants of health and disease and where those took place and where, what, which zip codes had which going on. And so those maps are kind of based initially on his heat death poverty map and then his breast cancer map. And then, you know, we added those other social determinants of health or disease. And then we worked with an amazing graphic artist named Gary Waller. And we were able to kind of finally, you know, create the right kind of map with the right kind of texture and the right kind of feel to it to make everybody actually sort of get it and feel it. But in between, you know, we found, you know, then there was a there was a redlining map which really became the ground zero map that everything was laid on top of. And when you think about maps like that, it changes things. You know, things are built on top of another, one on top of another. And and visually and cinematically, you have to figure out how to do that. It works, and it's very effective. And this is a a, a burgeoning uh, um, area of study called the social cost. You said social determinants. This is something that over the last decade or so, I'm hearing more and more about it, that when it's factored into all kinds of product developments, medications, all or, or social or uh, political policies, you, you can now factor in what they call the social cost. And that's in, in some ways what we see in the film, the, the, the costs that are not the dollars and cents, but kind of the ripple effect of whatever it might be that you're studying. And that's becoming more and more refined and more and more accurate. And I think that that greatly helps make the point that the the film Cooked Survival by Zip Code is is making. And uh, you make it very effectively. So really had a great time with it um, in terms of just uh, a cinematic experience of watching it. And the people you have in the film are compelling, learned, and well-spoken about what they're talking about. And then there's the emotional part of the people in these neighborhoods who are dealing with this deprivation of resources and assets in order to essentially be able to determine their own future in a more more prosperous way. It's all there, and it makes the point. And with you as our guide, which I thought was really effective, and I, I, I thought it was a, from a cinematic, from a movie-making point of view, I thought it, it worked so well. So, Judith Helfen, thank you for all of that. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Again, the film is called Cook, Survival by Zip Code. It is, as I said, premiering uh, this coming Monday, February 3rd on Independent Lens in just such a great program, such a great program to be uh, a part of for for this film. And is there any uh, expanded version, if you will, of the film that we would be able to see at some point down the line? Or is uh, is that the final form for the film? Um, no, no, there is an expanded. There is a, there is a there's a festival sort of feature length version that's 76 minutes, and you could actually see it on. You could find it on iTunes, you know. And I encourage you all to come to our website, cookthefilm.com, and learn about our engagement campaign and all the work that we're doing um, with the film. This is the 25th anniversary of 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 
of the heat wave that'll take place in July. And so we're going to be working, doing some deep engagement work between the, the, the release of the film on Independent Lens and on the 25th to, through the 25th anniversary. Fantastic. You're working with kind of nonprofits and social ad- advocacy groups and things like that? Is that... Yeah, we're, we're actually um, we're trying to go to cities that have experienced c- climate crises, not unlike the heat waves, that have revealed the long-term impact of systemic inequity and systemic racism, where there's an active movement to try to create a, a climate action plan, but more than that, a climate justice plan, which includes investing in the neighborhoods that are, quote-unquote, the most vulnerable in a way that elevates the local economy and really addresses sort of the climate crisis and disaster preparedness through an equity lens. So we're trying to support that movement. Beautiful. That is such fantastic. Well, congratulations on all of that. Okay. uh, All right. Well, thank you. Again, the film is called Cooked Survival by Zip Code, and we've been joined today by Peabody Award-winning director Judith Helfen. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.